Hi, Jens here. Are you interested in innovation? This might be something for you too. Every Friday, I share the latest innovation articles, ideas, videos, books, podcasts, and more that I discovered during the week in my newsletter, Connect the Dots. If you subscribe, you will receive an email into your inbox every Friday. You can't find the newsletter anywhere else, so you have to subscribe if you want to receive it. Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show, where I interview experts from different fields to connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship. My name is Jens Heitland, and I am your host. Today's guest is promoting gender equality in business. She's the managing director of LM Consulting. Please welcome to the show, Leanne Meyer. Hello, Leanne. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing really well. Excited to be here, of course. <laughs> it's it's great to have you. For everyone who's listening, we already have had, I, I think, about 30 minutes fun. So now we're getting <laughs> a little bit more serious. <laughs> tiny bit, tiny bit. Yeah. So before we go into innovation and all your business topics, tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your story? So I, I'm, I, can I say I'm actually a little bit proud of my story. I didn't used to think it was that exciting, but I've realized it is. So I am a Brit and I guess nobody can see me right now. You might have you might see my face on the cover of the podcast. Um, so I'm born in Britain. My parents are also British, but my grandparents originally came from Jamaica. So like my my whole upbringing was super cultural to the point where I didn't even though I'm British, I didn't actually eat English food and maybe up until I was like 11. Um, so that was, yeah, yeah, I know. It was like Jamaican food, Jamaican food, Jamaican food. Like what? Beans on toast? Who eats that? But what does so, uh, make Jamaican food like for, for those who have no idea like myself? Okay. So like the famous, the famous dish is jerk chicken, which is really like a spicy marinade, um, mixed with, uh, scotch bonnet oh yeah I love food so this is going to tantalize me already um which is like scotch bonnet pepper so they're like one of the hottest peppers on the planet then mixed with allspice coriander all these different flavors and then you, you use it to marinate chicken pork fish prawns lobster um and usually traditionally you cook it on a barbecue but if you're not in Jamaica or you don't have a jerk pan which is what it's called which is like this huge barrel um you just cook it in the oven um, and then you have a lot of fish uh, we have a lot of curries and then because of the Jamaican history being very mixed due to like slavery the indigenous people of Jamaica and all that kind of stuff um, my history is also fusion cooking so my grandma's family come by way of <clears throat> excuse me Panama and Cuba and India and then my there's a family joke as well my grandfather's grandfather is German and Jewish so now that I live in Germany everyone's like oh you've gone back to the the motherland I was like apparently so I might not look German <laughs> but the roots are there the roots are there way way back um I love the German language always have done started learning German when I was at school I've lived in Vienna I've lived a little time in France I used to live in London and now I'm in Munich so my the person I am is like I love food I love travel I love culture I love people 
And this, like being on your podcast is perfect because I just love to talk, to learn and share. And then also kind of talk about food and wine because that's also my job. So like I, the, biz, the business stuff comes later, but all of the stuff with food culture has somehow managed to find its way in my life in terms of how I've chosen to express my opinions, my desires, my passions, um, even though we'll get to that later on about gender equality. But even the journey to this point has been through an iteration of having different businesses that have expressed different parts of my personality but now I've kind of come to the point where I found the intersection yeah so that's kind of me in a complicated food drink Jamaica British background here I am love it (laughs) so talking about innovation and and funnily enough we haven't really talked about innovation yet in in the calls we have had but how, how how do you see innovation in in the work you're doing how do you how do you wh- how do you understand innovation from your perspective without giving you any hint in any direction okay without giving you hints no 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 you know what I mean? for, for me innovation is the ability to look at a situation and find a new solution because i mean just linguistically that part that nova in the middle is is that is that newness right and it's like well how can I look at something and get to a better result by taking all the experience that I have, but making it into something quantifiably better? And that can be in any way. And I, I have to, I have to use cooking as an example. Um, just, just I, know, I know we're going to move it on to business, but I just have to use it for an example. <laughs> it's fine. It's, <laughs> it's that, it's that part about, you know, once upon a time, people thought about, okay, we can only use, let's just say noodles. We can only use noodles and we can only boil them. But then they figured out, hey, what I can actually do is I can take them, I can fry them and it gives me something better. The way I treat something leads me to a better and different, well, not always better, but a different outcome, something that we've not done before. So I think innovation for me is being open to the possibilities of doing something new and challenging any assumptions of how we've done things before being the only way we can do it going forward and that's kind of like in my context of gender equality that's how I hope to be innovative in terms of bringing a new and when I say new it's bringing that part together because gender equality has been notoriously beneficial to white women just like feminism but for me the innovative part is let's not start by looking at it based on a a women, a, gen- a purely a gender basis, but actually let's look at the impact that we can have and how do we increase impact by broadening the spectrum of the people we're trying to help, namely black women, women of color. And how do we then do that? Because what we know right now is what's been happening historically, it doesn't work. It's not, it's, it's stopped working. And I think that's the other part about innovation. It's when you look and you go, well, what we've been doing so far doesn't work anymore. So how do we say we want a new outcome without being insane and trying to use the same old strategies, trying to do the same old things, meeting with the same old people? Um, and that's why you need people like yourself, people like myself and all, all the other ads called innovators and challengers. It's like you take your corporate background and you understand what it, the importance of it, but you take it and you kind of supercharge it into something new and we challenge the, the the existing system and that for me is exciting and that's what innovation means to me yeah love it so how do you how do you innovate in your life personally or professionally both <laughs> right 
do you know something? It's one of those ones. Innovation in my life is an interesting one. And the reason why I say on a personal level, it's an interesting one. It's because I have also been forced to challenge my own preconceived ideas as to what life looks like. So full disclosure, I didn't ever want children. And I'm a lifestyle person. <laughs> I have two. So, you know, go figure. Um, so I didn't ever want children. And I'd always been focused on living my life in a certain way. And actually, the challenge for me was becoming a mother maintaining my identity and still trying to figure out how do I want to live away from this lifestyle preconceived idea or this this notion that I had my whole life like I was all about Ferraris okay I love cars by the way but I was all about cars racing food travel and I'm not saying you can't do all of those things with kids but in becoming a mother it's changed the way I look at life and my focus um not completely but it became a question of how can I still keep my identity as a woman? How can I still keep my identity separate from being a mother to being Leanne? And how can I keep all of that going while still enjoying life as it is? So for me, it was kind of trying to find a new way. I'm not going to say having it all. I'm saying, how can I find a new way to negotiate my life and my lifestyle that still is enjoyable, but at the same time is still representative of who I am with all these new factors and then of course because I don't like to make life easy throwing a business on top <laughs> that I'm going to do full-time <laughs> so how did you innovate from from a business perspective as well to the point that you started to to do your own business this was um it was a it was a self-development or a personal journey to come to this point but it was also that part about my personal experiences in terms of business in terms of being a black woman within the corporate world in terms of not being able to uh, always articulate the language behind the reasons why I was being discriminated against marginalized etc it was kind of finding a way to express that challenge the system, but then also find solutions and create solutions for companies based on my personal experience, but also saying, okay, well, what I understand is, and this is no discredit to anybody who works in the DNI space, but for me, it's about innovation is about drilling down. It's no longer looking at the surface because it's like with anything, right? If I can give you, if I can give you one answer as to why I do something, and then you say, but why? And we go down, what did they say? The five circles of why, right? Um, if I only know the top one, then I then I really haven't drilled down deep enough to understand. And I think part of that is the drilling down is lived experience for me. So it's kind of like, okay, well, I understand that people speak about diversity and it's it's a diversity day in Germany, in fact. But diversity is an umbrella, it's it's a it's a larger word. So for me, it's like, well, let's innovate in terms of let's be really, really specific let's really look at how we can help particular groups it's not to the disadvantage of any other groups but let's be specific about what we're trying to solve here let's look at the I call it like I've coined the phrase the experience gap let's look at the experience gap for women for women of color let's not just kind of do the okay we have all women and let's kind of help them and push them along what does it actually mean to sit in an office and be a black woman versus being a woman of color versus being a white woman and how do we find a solution that makes sure all these women have the opportunity to succeed by creating equitable processes but you can't do that unless you even understand the 
the the issue and the difference you, if you if you don't understand the gap you can't you can't close it mm. so from 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 my perspective it's like there's been a lot of talk about solutions and outcomes but there's not really been as much focus on the root of the problem because that is for a lot of people it's uncomfortable especially when you use words like racism sexism misogynoir and so on and so forth and um, but for me that's kind of like let's turn it on the, on its head the outcome will be great you know that if you take care of a group of people, you know that your return on investment will be absolutely amazing if you invest correctly in your employees. But let's not start as the women themselves. Let's actually dig deeper and find out, well, why don't they feel like they belong? What, what are the issues that they face, not just when they get in the door, but even before they get in the door? So for me, that's kind of like the innovative part and the part for me that I feel is our... USP in a business sense because loads of people specialize in gender equality but they don't specialize in making sure that this experience gap is also focused on yeah how how do you how do you do that from a perspective of there are different cultures I mean you, mm -hmm. you just mentioned a couple of countries and and most probably I mean extremes Germany and Jamaica I'm pretty sure this is completely from a culture like deep rooted, like you said, deep dive rooted culture perspective, it's already different mm -hmm. to talk about these topics to like not talking <laughs> rather than talking <laughs> about these topics. And how, how do you work with this perspective of if a culture, if, if we just say a culture is not talking about that, how do you do that? How do you open up the door from a corporate perspective and starting to talk about these topics? Right. So like, um, I'd say the first thing is, and I've learned this in just, I've learned this on the way in my life, actually, which is, I, I have to meet you where you are. I can't meet you at the place I hope you to be at. So in terms of, let's say, in terms of like my own, our company's kind of maturity model as to where different clients sit on the scale of where they sit. <laughs> if, if America's at the front, and the UK is a little bit behind, right? Then Germany's right at the beginning, not because, not because there's not a focus on gender equality, but it's also from the understanding. And, you know, that's kind of always the, let's say the, the initial touch point for me is asking a company, what does diversity mean to you? Because until you understand their definition, what diversity means to me, it might not mean the same to you, right? And until we get to that point where we can kind of go, what does diversity mean to you? What does gender equality mean to you? Does gender equality mean to you simply, I have a woman on the board? Okay. If having a woman on the board for you means or increased gender representation, it doesn't necessarily mean diversity if she's gone to the same business school as you, if you play golf with her husband. So what does diversity mean? Because there has to definitely be a level of, definitely in the German world, I know that sensitive, I can't ever say it, sensor, what's the word, sensitivity or sensitizing, I can't remember what the word is, but you know, it's that element of, we have to kind of normalize the issues. You can't always go in with a sledgehammer. Sometimes you can only go in with a feather duster. You know, it still, it still creates, it still creates a reaction. <laughs> it might not be as extreme, but it still does something because ultimately to make progress, it's about having the door open and being able to have a conversation. Now, if I come into you and I'm like, we've got to talk about your anti-racism policies and we need to talk about the fact like they're already looking at me going well we don't have a racism problem Leanne so cha-cha uh 
so it's it's that part it's the part of understanding what does what does this mean to you as a definition how do you then express your ideas in practice and how do you then see that as a starting point for you to build upon it how is that a foundation for you over an investment cycle the next three to five years like what do you look what do you look to do and and are your goals purely outcomes that can be superficially manipulated by hiring one person of color mm. or hiring one woman because if you've made the if you've made the category so easy then essentially you can do all your diversity reporting and say well hey we've increased by 50 percent and blah 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 but it doesn't also address racial inequity it only addresses gender diversity but we also know that only having one woman isn't really gender diversity either so it's kind of that part getting in the door to be to build trust ultimately because there's always the fear of being in the seat of being accused of doing something wrong and nobody likes to be feel and I'm going to put attacked in inverted commas no one can see me but I'm going to do it like that and um, because it's not necessarily being attacked but when something feels personal people tend to shy away from it. So, so it's kind of having that healthy distance of, this isn't a theoretical conversation, but I'm not saying you are the person doing it. I'm talking about the concept at large. Mm. If, we, if we take that and, and, and drill deeper, so there's one perspective, which is like the company, the management team, the, the leaders of the business. And then there are, in, in some co companies, a lot of individuals. Mm -hmm. how, how do you see the difference be because what I've seen, if I, if I just give a little bit of background, their corporations, they, they write, yeah, we do this and we're all in and like we have it and, and they're reporting, they're doing exactly like you, you mentioned. But then saying it and feeling it on an on a individual level is most of the time off. Not always, right. but most of the time. How, mm -hmm. do you, how do you work with that? How do you see that? In, in corporations well like um so to to back, just to back up and even say like to the extent to which this is this was one of the reasons why i left the corporate world because from a from a values perspective i could no longer be in a company that did all the reporting had all the big shot names proclaimed to be diverse but as you said on a day-to-day -day basis nothing changed it was still the same old rubbish that I had before mm. and this is and this is the part because this I'm not going to say I don't mean courage in the traditional sense but this is where leadership and I don't just mean leadership at the very very top level but in the strata of leadership even going down to middle management when you talk about anybody or when you kind of give an example of a person right you say oh yeah you know you come across these people who are a b c d e you have a person in your mind you don't give you don't name them but it's not a random case study person that you've picked out of thin air you know who you're talking about and in the same way every single strata of leadership whether it's junior management senior management they are not anonymous to their bosses mm -hmm. and this is where it takes courage because people say oh you know it's not trickling down to middle management but that's also because the layer above them aren't holding them accountable. And this is, and this is the point. Middle management is not just a, uh, uh, like an amoeba of people that you, you can't see, an, an amoeba's group where you go, okay, we don't know who they are. They have names, they have personalities, and their bosses know who they are. And this is part of the, the cultural change, which is 
each layer has to take accountability for their direct reports because a CEO can say all he likes and a lot of CEOs are still at that kind of point of, oh, the company's too large, I can't be responsible for everyone. But you're responsible for the, you're responsible for the bottom line and the profitability of the whole company. Mm. So if, if Group X is no longer profitable, you better believe that you'll be there asking people who are 20 rungs below you what's going on. So it's like, if you don't make this, an urgency, a priority. No one's going to be held accountable. No one, because there's no real reason for them to do it. So they let the talking happen at the top. No one says, hey, well, if you don't do this and you don't do that, there's no formality to the structure. And that's part of what we do when we kind of have like educational workshops or we're kind of talking to HR. It's like, well, what is your intra-level accountability process mm -hmm. you can say you, you can say you need a diverse slate of candidates when hiring okay and your pay will get docked if you don't do that okay but what about day-to-day -day accountability like mm -hmm. diver a diverse slate of uh, recruits isn't any way correlative to the culture that you're building so how are you then implementing that and enforcing that because the enforcement part is Leadership have to enforce it into tangible, tangible measures that can also be measured that they then push it down. So then sometimes that is a real cultural shift. And in larger companies, as, as you know, making a cultural change is super difficult because with so many people, so many characters and people are still scared. Leadership are still scared to fire a lot of these. I'm going to call them 21st century problems, i.e., they are the people that don't belong in the office in this enlightened world, but they've made them a hell of a lot of money over the years, mm. even though they've always known that they were antisocial, it's not mattered. And this is the difficulty now where companies are having to, hmm, what do I do? He or she brings in a lot of money, but no one likes them. They're sexist. They're racist. They're all these things. What do we do? And yeah. this is where this is where they have companies are in this unique position to really show that they walk the talk. Or the other alternative is simply you won't be you won't have you won't be able to pay to play. Like those are your two options because there are so many new companies who are coming up. There are new small asset managers who are coming up who are purely value and purpose driven. Um, you know that people say, hey, well, the fees are fairer. I'm not paying for the for the JP Morgan premium or what have you. I just go to this guy. He's doing a good job. I know who he is as a person. The CEO isn't distanced away from the business. He speaks, lives and breathes the values. I'll go there. And I think that's the that's the part of there has to be this realization of the imperative to change, but making it so that everybody is held accountable, not just the CEO pushes out a nice PR statement. Yeah. How, how do you see that from a perspective of, hey, I'm, I'm the CEO or I, I'm in a management team of a large organization mm -hmm. and I would like to understand where we are right now. What, what would you recommend people to do? Right. First of all, I would say employ or do like from my product perspective, what we offer. So we offer an audit, which is like, let's do some peer benchmarking. So first of all, let's find out you say as a leader, this is the environment I want to build. You say these are the cultures. You say this is our, this is our, these are our values. This is our mission statement. Great. Is that how everybody else feels? Oh, yeah. That's an interesting one. <laughs> right. 
is that how everybody else feels but not just that because we because um we as an lm consultant we do peer benchmarking it's like okay i'm not just going to take leanne's word for it as a cisgender black heterosexual female no 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 i want to know what it's like as her experience versus that of Jens versus that of potentially uh, a white transgender woman because it's only in comparing them can you really say and sometimes you know what the interesting thing about data is provided you ask the right questions in some cases data you know data doesn't lie most of the time as long as you've not manipulated it beforehand so I can't guarantee that every black woman has a, has a worse experience, nor do I want to, but the output of it is you find out, and most of the time there is a thematic, you find out what is perceived to be the issue, let's say, for each, like for each person, and they're usually the same. And, you know, based on our approach, there are kind of three, yeah, I'd say three main problems that people have or companies have. First of all, it's like knowledge do they have the right knowledge are they even really thinking do they do they know where to start do they even understand the difference between equity equality all that kind of stuff then there's like the second part is environment so is the environment the kind of place that everybody feels welcome we know it's not the case and to what degree to what extent do they feel welcome or unwelcome and then the third part that we help with is authenticity because you know this is the kicker you can do all of the stuff but if it feels performative or if it feels like oh gosh now they've got another women's another women's event oh now they've got another lgbtq plus event Uh uh uh-huh but what changes if that's the effect already people see it there's low engagement and there's no interest and this is the this is for us kind of the piece of the whole puzzle which is leadership you have to be clear on those parts because they all feed into each other so maybe start with knowledge because when you the more you know the more you learn the more you can apply it and the application is what reflects the authenticity Mm. and builds the trust that then you can then implement into the environment so like for me as like as a ceo of the company i say start with knowledge excuse me start with educating your staff but also educating yourself like don't leave it don't just send out a book of hey these are the great these are the cool books you should read about gender equality and how to be an anti-racist yeah that's great but have you read them (laughs) yeah (laughs) but to to that point, so if if you if you start opening the Pandora's box, that is also mean in my eyes at least you make yourself vulnerable, and maybe you find out things you don't want to know, mm-hmm. it, from that perspective. But f- for me, as as an opportunity seeker, is it opens tremendous opportunities if you if you get to know that. How do you see that in 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 corporations like? They open the door. Oh no! Let's close it very, very quickly because it's it it's it's not what we want to see. Right. So I'd say like this. So first of all, I'm, I'd say the reason why I, I think a lot of companies trust me is because I also am not immune to learning and this is what I like to say it's like just because I do this work it doesn't mean I'm perfect it doesn't mean I don't have a lot to learn because just because I you know advocate for gender equality and racial equity in business it doesn't mean that I don't have to learn about what it means to be in the LGBTQ plus community how it is to be an older person and there is so much and you're right there is a there is an element of a Pandora's box like 
am I ever going to get all of this right? Am I? <laughs> do I even know the latest terminology? Blah, 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 blah. But you know what I've learned as well? And you're right, like sometimes they do want to close the door. But you also realize that when you connect with, and I've had so many conversations with different CEOs, when you connect with them on a personal level and we connect as human beings, the opportunity, even though they know something scary could potentially be coming, because there's intrinsic trust between me and them, and we can have conversations. And you know, you say to yourself, oh yeah, we scheduled a call for half an hour. And an hour and a half later, you're both like, okay, that one's gone far too long. But what you've done is you've shared, you've learned, and at the end, you know, I enjoy getting those emails that say, Do you know what, Leanne, that was a really great conversation. I learned a lot. And I can actually say, I learned a lot too. It wasn't a one-way street because half of the, first of all, I have to caveat everything we're saying, inaction is also a choice, right? So if you do nothing, you're just as bad. But, and, and, and you, you would do a lot worse if you do nothing. And that's kind of almost like the counter side of it. You can decide to do nothing, but your reputation is at risk if you do nothing because you said you basically don't care. And as much as you can base it on paralysis, people only see the output, not the thought process behind it. But then on the other side, it's also the opportunity to learn and the opportunity to connect with other people who have been in the same position offers a far greater return on investment than you could even you can even imagine because if you're looking at your you might get told like someone says hey this company is so ageist you know and then they go oh, why what have we done and they go well you know something I was 50 I didn't get a promotion a young a young guy got promoted ahead of me he's got no experience blah 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 it might not be a nice conversation to have you might actually feel like you're in the shooting seat but at the same time without actually having that conversation you can't change it yeah. um and and sometimes it, that's the kind of part I always like to impress upon is nothing is easy <laughs> if you want to lose weight you feel like you're starving half the time um you know it's it's all those things everything that we try to achieve requires training it requires practice and there's no such thing as arriving because once you get there having a growth mindset says well I, I'm here how can I make it better how do I innovate how do I look at what I have and say okay let's pivot this to make it more impactful to make it more powerful but also to to give it more longevity so that I know what I'm doing now isn't something that I'm doing but rather it's a part it's an intrinsic part of our anatomy of the way we're built of what we do how we see it it's now it's now an inbuilt lens that when we make every decision we know that it's going to be equitable we know that it's going to be gender balanced because we put the time effort and pain um, into getting to that point. Yeah. It's quite interesting. There are a lot of things because maybe it's all around culture shift and culture changes mm -hmm. uh, towards in innovation culture because it's often similar topics. Maybe the fear is different, but it's it's still still similar in, in, in a lot of um, expressions and how you can see that in, in organizations. Talking about failing, I mean, start starting and, and you said it's like walking the talk and it's important to get started how do you see and how do you work with companies who are afraid of failing like just even getting started <laughs> you see what those those companies are the ones where you have a lot of conversations and i've got i've got a particularly large company right now in the luxury goods space 
and we have been talking for four months and it's like yeah but we don't want to make the mistake yeah we don't want to make it and, and I'm like I understand all of that but if you don't log into or dial into the fact that there's a sense of urgency you won't, there's only two positions in this in this particular story those who were before and made changes or those who came after and had to retrofit everything hmm. and these ones on this side are going to have issues doing business because you're not going to be able to pay to play while everybody else has been getting prepared. You're still trying to figure out statements to make, what's the right approach. And for me, it's kind of that part of how urgent is this to you? Because if it isn't urgent to you, if you feel like you have all the time in the world, then potentially for me, there is a point of, and it's a, it's a really important point. I'm not willing to work with everybody. Our values have to be aligned. So if you're still, waiting then I can't necessarily wait for you to get to that point on your journey because as I said for me inaction is still making a choice but it also means that you've actively decided to do nothing because making a change isn't more important to you than your own reputation and looking bad which is a superficial measure yeah and I I Talking about opportunity again, I think it's also an opportunity to be very open and say, hey, we have a couple of issues here. Um, we're, we're trying to find out how that works and how we solve them and just being open with it and saying, hey, there might be things not working in the first time, but we are trying and we want to learn and we, we will be sharing openly what's going to happen. And I right. think that's, uh, and I just do this with an innovation perspective where a lot of people say, yeah, then it's okay if we fail. So it's not the reputation of the business or the CEO is not completely done afterwards. But if you fail in this perspective, in, in the sensible topics, then it's maybe slightly different. But I guess from an opportunity perspective, again, it's the same opportunity. If you truly do this with, with the perspective of, I want to learn, I want to change this, and I'm setting myself up for a long-term goal, which we will get there it might not be tomorrow. We might have a couple of rough patches in between where it's not perfectly, but we are at least trying to solve them going forward and we share what's going on. Right. And this, this perfection paralysis, I mean, I get it. You want to still keep your brand, but I think that that's where the misalignment is happening. It's like, you don't always have to do something publicly because this is this is the other mindset about superficiality like loads of companies want headline praise like oh yes we released the statement and look at our new charter and no 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 we're going to publish this and everyone's going to go oh my gosh you're so amazing then the instagram pops up and says do you know how rubbish this company is to work for if you're a woman and yeah. if you're black and if you have an arab background and and then they're like wah, wah, wah. and you think to yourself well it doesn't always have to be for the gaze of the public yeah. you can start you can start to do work because when the question comes when your stakeholders your shareholders everybody says to you so what have you been doing george floyd was murdered in 2020 we've already seen that covid has exacerbated the wealth gap that you know in the u.s 150,000 jobs and 98% or 78% of those were for, for women. Like, what are you doing to address these issues? And you say, 
I'm still trying to find the right statement. Yeah. We didn't know where to start. That is going to be a more than lacking answer. And the price to pay in that sense won't necessarily, it will be from a brand reputation perspective, but the people themselves, they will have to ask themselves, will you still have a job if that's your approach? If you're not really gauging, and this is, you know, if we just look at putting, putting gender equality, racial equity aside, if we just look at what's happened in the past year during the pandemic in terms of people starting businesses, in terms of people really looking at their values, how they express those values, how they spend their money, who they want to work with, what they want for a lifestyle balance, all these sorts of things, everybody is becoming aware and they want that to be reflected in the brands that they invest in. And it's not anymore about just having a t-shirt that's like fairly made that you charge $300 for. It's like, but let's go further down. Like, where are you sourcing the cotton? All this kind of stuff. And I think this is where companies need to look and think, well, hmm, can I just still do the same old thing? Or do I need to do something different? Mm. And those who don't get that they need to do something different unfortunately will be those that lose out to the detriment of their own reputation yeah it's like the the old saying inaction is always more risky than than action though that you might be exposing right. a couple of things if you're active <laughs> right you can you can you can definitely expose a few bad things but that for me should be a part of the learning curve because realistically and, and I think sometimes the fear going back to your point about the fear the fear isn't always about them not knowing what they've done wrong it's about being exposed to the fact that they've turned a blind eye in mm. favor of profit because no one's saying you can't be profitable that's not the issue the question is how have you made those profits and I think that's the part where a lot of people are accountability shy Leadership is accountability yeah. shy. And it's easier then to make heads roll and fire people that were apparently the problem. But once again, going back to my original point, you know who the problem children are in your company. They're not anonymous. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking back. <laughs> You're right. You know who it is. You, you already know. I can still remember when there was like a women's moment um, at a company that I worked at. And, you know, I already knew like the list of promotions came out and I knew all the men that were going to start clocking because there were so many women who were being promoted. So when you hear, when you see like the little clock party and they're like, oh yeah, all these women taking our jobs. And then these men get promoted into positions where they have female, <laughs> female reports. Is anyone surprised that these women don't like working for them? Mm. What does a company say? Mm. You know, he does a really good job and he always brings in a lot of money. Okay. You know, people getting promoted because they can't got rid of this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going into a rabbit hole. Let's let's dig ourselves out of that. Okay, we're out, we're out, we're out. <laughs> so... <laughs> Talk, talking about your business, I would like to give you a little bit of a plug, but as well the opportunity to share your stories. Like, how did you how did you start your own business, and why did you start your own business? What's the purpose? 
Right. So um, as we said a little bit about my story before, it was really the fact that um, being a black woman within the corporate space, I saw how easy it was to be left behind and not have a voice within the company, especially when they were promoting gender equality, right? So it was all about gender, but women and women of color were excluded because of the fact that women who are given a voice tend to be women who are like C-suite and just one one um, level below. And that's notoriously where women of color are underrepresented. So the validity of your voice wasn't there. Then when it came to like looking around and saying, well, why am I the only one? And it'd be like, well, there's, there's, there's not enough, there's, there's not enough black candidates and I'm a female candidate. How can I be one of, how can I be the only black woman in a room of 100, in a company, like in, a, in an office of 180? How can there only be 10 women in, a, in an office of 180 or something like that? You know, mm -hmm. it, was, it was that part of seeing and understanding that something is going significantly wrong. And then on top of that, it's the part about when you're in a position of ad, like, uh, advising people who are in strategic positions you're telling them how to build strategy but you're also not getting recognition for your work it's like well hmm I've been doing this for a while let me actually do it myself so to say how did I get to this path I would say I didn't just come to this path today because my personal development in also discovering that in my professional life I had been discriminated against because I was a woman, because I was a black woman, because I was a mother. That didn't happen overnight. It wasn't something that I even readily accepted because I came from a community. I was, as I said, I was brought up, in, born in Birmingham, brought up there, but it's also the largest Jamaican community in Britain. So I didn't have necessarily that same framing of blackness being different, being strange, but I didn't realize that that wasn't necessarily the case for other people. Um, but then also I'd say like in terms of my personality, my personality has always been one that's been driven by A, creating a, a place for people to feel like they belong, but that social elements are like, I've had a dating agency. I have run a travel concierge company for women. I have run a, like a, a social circle, private members club thing. Like literally I have run so many different things in different iterations, but they weren't my why or completely. They showed different assets and facets of the things that motivate me, you know, whether it be for women, whether it be for people, whether it be for arts or whatever and bringing people together. But it didn't have, it wasn't my why in terms of, really motivating me where I can say I can do this all the time and that's what LM Consulting is it's like I want to help companies create environments where women and also women of color can be successful they can feel as though they belong not because they've had to change but rather because the corporate environment is such that it's changed and understood that the needs of women, the needs of mothers, the needs of transgender women, the needs of black women and so on and so forth are different. So in order to make it equitable, you have to put more, you have to put more in place, process-wise, culturally, educationally, um, to make that a possibility. And that was like the real reason and the real motivation because like it's it's not really about me per se because uh, corporate life isn't well corporate life yes is in me running it but um, me working for a corporate isn't necessarily for me but that's not the path for others and I want to kind of leave that legacy behind um, of sharing that and making sure the next generation and even my daughter in many years to come 
that when she goes into the office, she isn't marginalized for being a woman. And then, you know, and all those other things that come with it, because hopefully by that time, companies will have embedded this as part of the way they work, as opposed to, I'm hoping that we get to the point where we don't have to talk about gender equality, because it's going to be a default, like, we hire people, we're looking for people to come rather than we need more women, we need more black people. And um, that's, that's kind of, that's really what motivates me. Great. So I would like to transition to the last part of the podcast, which is a couple of rapid fire questions. They're, they're small and a little bit bigger ones. Okay. So <laughs> let's start with a bigger one. So if you could work with a project, um, running it yourself or being part of it um, with a project that's impacting every human being on earth. What project is it? And why would you be choosing to be part of it? That is no word of a lie. That is a huge one. <laughs> why are you doing this to me, Jens? Oh, okay. If I could if I could be part of any project in the world, I would love to get under the bonnet of race-based medicine to understand like our fundamental differences so that when we have any ailments, we understand specifically how we can help each person based on their genetic makeup. That's what I'd love to do. I wasn't expecting that at all. <laughs> That's cool. But there's a reason why, I know it's a quick one. There's a reason why, and that's because um, there are specific diseases that, for example, only black people have, only Indian people have. Um, and that kind of would, in terms of how medicines approach, that would affect everybody because it would also be, and I'll just give you another quick example, like the, the gestation time for a black woman during pregnancy, full term is actually 38 weeks. So it's kind of like not 40 weeks. So it's kind of those things that motivate me to say like, that would help everyone in terms of learning, accepting our differences, but also normalizing them. That's the reason why. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sharing. Where will you be in a year from now? And you can answer that personal business or both. Or end. Okay. Okay. So um, business-wise, a year from now, I will be, I will have announced the release of my book. I will be, um, I will be speaking somewhere. I don't know if I have my own radio show and I will absolutely on a personal level. Um, I think I would have kind of done another half marathon because that's like a, that's like a challenge that I still have outstanding. Um, that's it. That, 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 that's all I can think of right now, but the uh, definitely the release of the book is the big one. Yeah. And the half marathon. <laughs> Did the first one and didn't know I was pregnant. So I want to do another one and hopefully achieve a better time. <laughs> did you do it in 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 munich or in munich first one ever my time was atrocious it was two and a half hours but um yeah doesn't matter like, i did it i did it we and should, i trained for it we should be running together <laughs> i'll leave you to run with my husband because i already know what that's going to mean I, I i can't achieve i can't achieve those speeds <laughs> it's not about speed it's just being in the process that's the most important you're right. You're right. Says that, and then the competitive person on my shoulder goes, "He's so lying." <laughs> <laughs> okay. La last question from the rapid fire ones. How do you keep yourself up to date? How? What are the different input sources you're taking to inform yourself? 
Right. So I am a massive bookworm. So um, I read a lot of actual books, not even on my Kindle, like books, books, research books. I like to make sure I get kind of updates from Bloomberg Inc. I set up my Google alerts. I like to look on LinkedIn to see what's going on, being very, very clear and strategic about who pops up in my feed just to see what's actually going out there. I like to um, take part in webinars, not too much because I, I don't use Clubhouse. Um, but because I just feel like that's kind of time sucking, but I like to go to like informative <laughs> webinars. Um, Clubhouse is only if you're, you're leading the show, not if you're listening. Um, and that, so that's kind of me. That's where I kind of source all my data, but a lot of it is theory books. And then I like to read essays to back it up um, because I'm very interested in history, data, and like the, let's say the basis for all this stuff with racial inequity, gender equality, and, um, and also recipe books. I can't forget that because it's a part of me food always. <laughs> Great. Well, it's a pleasure having you on the show. It's it's really awesome. I could talk a couple of hours more and we will do that outside of we the will. recording. We will, we will for sure. Or um, do something separate on record. <laughs> so that's an idea. Where, where where can people find you? How can people reach out to you? So I am on LinkedIn, Leanne. Maya M-A-I-R um, on Instagram at Leanne M-M Twitter at Leanne Maya Fines um, and I haven't signed in on TikTok I've got I've got TikTok I've not signed in on it and I think that I think that's it and then business wise website is www.lmayaconsulting.com same handle for Instagram same handle for um, LinkedIn business page yeah I will put as well the links into the show notes so people can straight away click through and find you me and uh, maybe see me dancing on TikTok once I've said it up. <laughs> awesome. Lian, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure talking to you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ian. Thanks.